to the Hustle Podcast. I interview the top entrepreneurs and business brains about how they have achieved seven-figure success and beyond. Hear about their life experiences, lessons learnt, mindset hacks, tips and tricks, and how to hustle hard to build your business. Today, I am so excited to interview one of the most incredible female entrepreneurs in New Zealand and incredible shoe designer. Welcome, Catherine Wilson. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here because I see your products everywhere and you have built such a strong brand. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us. <laughs> well, it has, I feel like sometimes well, it has been 18 years, so it's, it is like a long haul, obviously, with that constant growth and, and challenges that come with it. But yeah, funny to think, I was 23 when we launched the brand, so I'm feeling my age at the moment. <laughs> well, you do not look it. So you started off with a pop-up shoebox that travelled around New Zealand. That was your first store? It was our first store. So we had wholesaled, we started the brand in 2003, and we wholesaled for a good um, probably eight years to about 50 stores throughout New Zealand before we opened our first store, which was the pop-up shoebox and that was the Rugby World Cup. I remember going to approach the landlord as the Britomart Precinct and um, said I've got this cool idea, I want to build a store but I want it to look like a shoebox replica of our packaging and you know it'll be really fun and we can put it there in the middle of the car park and put them out and I remember them saying why would you do that? It's uh, you know Britomart has no retail, it's all hospo and I said, yeah, but all those women working at Westpac and Ernst and & Young and all the offices would be tortured on their lunch break looking down at this Catherine Wilson <laughs> shoebox. On the, you know, and in, in the end, they loved the idea, thought it was really fun. We opened in time for the Rugby World Cup and then within a few months, Trelise had a container there in Puma and it became a little precinct of, of stores before the pavilions were built. You led the way. Well, it was just a fun kick. And, and my business partner at the time was an accountant and said, why aren't we just leasing a space? Like, there's plenty of high street stores empty. But I just thought it was such a fun activation to bring the brand to life. Of course, now the word pop-up shop is so much more common. And after that, we actually had the store travel to Wellington and then we had it two, in two years in the Restart Mall in Christchurch because obviously that had all happened post-2011. So... Yeah, it extended its life much longer than what we thought it was going to be. You disrupted the industry. <laughs> you thought outside of the square, and I love that. And I just love that people always love your products, you know, all the new collections that you're bringing out, and you've become just such a household name. So how did it all begin for you? Well, I, I mean, looking back, it is about a passion, isn't it, for the product, for the industry, for sure. I knew I wanted to be in the fashion industry. I, I was a young, you know, teenager that was good at art and maths and, you know, loved design. So my mum encouraged me to study. If I was going to leave school, I was I was growing up in Papakura. And my mum was a primary school teacher, like the biggest optimist you could ever imagine, and she still is that way. And the youngest of three girls, so we grew up kind of decorating our kung fus and commando M's from Para Rubber in the 80s and things with pens or, you know, fluff paints. And I guess it just became that I was, you know, quite creative and um, encouraged that way through teachers and my, my mother to do something that I loved. And I'm never, I guess, take that for granted because now, I, and now being a mother myself, I could only hope that I could gift my children that attitude towards doing something that you love. But I think having that encouragement, studying something that I enjoyed, I went through AUT in a fashion program. Then I studied in Wellington and did a Bachelor of Design. But you can't study footwear here in New Zealand. So I was really excited to be New Zealand's name and shoes, but there was no way to learn it. And in my second year at Massey, transferred in a scholarship program to England, and that's when I was able to take papers like trend prediction, packaging, marketing of footwear. So this girl from Papakura at the back of a design seminar with 3,000 students learning about 
colour palettes of car paints. and I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. Wow. Mm. And then returned to New Zealand and just absolutely set on, on being a footwear designer here. Incredible. Incredible. And then winged it. From the- <laughs> but you know? I really like, though, how humble you are and grounded. And so what has kind of kept you so grounded throughout all the highs and the lows and the successes? Well, I guess there's always that um, present challenge that's next, isn't it? So you don't ever stop to think, oh, that's it, I've done, I've done it. Because <laughs> it's the next thing's bigger and harder and more. And that doesn't come from a hunger for me. It's more around, I guess, as you grow, your team grows with you. I feel really excited about nurturing them and into their dream career. So as our business grows, it excites me because I'm offering these people in our team and head office and in the retail stores, an opportunity to work in a career that they love and that they feel excited about. I think these things that spur you on are more around, you know, like the joy you bring. And essentially the reason I do footwear is because it brings people so much joy. I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> but also myself, I obviously love the product. But when you see the woman light up and you see like the confidence they get from wearing their favourite pair of heels or shoes or, you know, and then it's, it's around that happiness um, and I think that's kind of built, the, you know, that's our why. It's around, like, keeping our consumer and our our loyal followers really happy with our product but excited to see what we do next. And, and then, therefore, the growth that comes from it is around the team being really excited as well about what what's next. And you never get a chance to just sit back and think, I've, I've nailed it, because <laughs> you haven't. <laughs> yeah. Always evolving, growing, yes. mm. yeah, pushing. Which, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that next level. So where do you draw inspiration for every new kind of collection? Well, we designed, Julia, who has worked with me for 11 years, is designing the collections with me probably for about the past eight. And we almost, we work so closely, we finish each other's sentences. We have a really similar aesthetic. Well, actually, we're different in terms of what we like personally, but bringing together ideas, it works really well. Um, So that truly comes from pencil on paper, like we're sketching on paper still um, 18 years into the business. We, of course, use all the programs later once you've scanned it and, you know, Illustrator, Photoshop, etc. But it's this raw form kind of the the actual shape of the shoe is is a pencil on paper and then the ideas come from vintage stores from current trends trend prediction forecasts and things color palettes are often from forecasts but we will you know and based in New Zealand and as an Australasian brand we've always been aware that there's no point kind of giving them something that's already in the market in terms of a mainstream trend so as you can see, the brands overseas that have a particular shape or a particular look, it's almost worth acknowledging that within a colour palette or within a nod, but if you really, really have to be innovative to offer our customer something that's not already in the mainstream high street stores. Or So it's always, it's great because it keeps you being unique and innovative with your product and your design, um, even though you are influenced by what the bigger brands are doing, you know, and being aware of what your, what your customer wants. Yes. And so how have you overcome challenges in business? Well, I guess like, again, my mother, my mother's influence of being the biggest optimist She and she's wonderfully, um, you know, celebrates the smallest things, really encourages me still as a 42 year old to stop and just enjoy, you know, and to, um, I guess like, that, the old saying of stop to smell the flowers, kind of enjoy the ride and don't rush and don't make anything to... So along the way, it's been kind of our mantra as well as a team to to make sure that every little small milestone that's reached is celebrated. Um, I think in terms of highs and lows, there's been plenty of lows, but the resilience comes from that, right? So the, 
I'm not sure. I think also possibly as an entrepreneur, when it's too easy, you go the other way because you want the challenge and it drives you a bit more to push, you know, a direction that no one else has been or especially if someone tells you you can't do that because it's never been done before. And of course you want to try and prove everyone wrong. (laughs) So there's a certain amount of resilience that comes from that. Absolutely. You like the climb. Probably, yeah. And if it was too, it's a bit like a boyfriend, right? If you get the nice guy, he's boring and then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you keep things interesting. Yeah, <laughs> keep things well. interesting. By, yeah, the challenging ones. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you juggle family and business? Well, that's something I'm still learning, to be honest. My, I have a seven-year-old and a, two, a three-year-old daughter, two daughters, Lola and Stella. And I love being a mum, but I have realised from the get-go when we were lucky enough to fall pregnant that I needed help at home. Some of the best advice that some girlfriends gave me was to be okay with having help. You can't be everything to everyone, you know, and remember your cup has to be full as well. And I think a big part of me enjoying and having my cup full and enjoying my life is having a part of the business. And so if I was to step back to become this mother figure, I would be, you know, watching what it, what they're doing in the office and, and feeling like I was missing out. So I was open to accepting that we had a third parent in the house. We've had a nanny since newborn. And fortunate to have the same nanny actually for seven years she's leaving us now to go to newborn families but we're really fortunate to have that unit my husband has his own business um he's grown over the last six years or so and that again has you know doubled down the pressure at home and I think we just don't know it any other way there is a certain amount of balance we've had to learn and the children have taught us that so again it's kind of forcing you to be more present you know stop and enjoy the moments and um And not put too much pressure on yourself to be everything to everyone. So one of my biggest lessons in life has been to say no more. (laughs) And Mm. every New Year's resolution has been like, I need to say no more. But again, I'm a people pleaser. So And I love being around people that kind of uplift me as well. But I can only hope that when I am with my children and my family, my darling husband, that I'm more present because I'm not having to work at the same time. And when I'm in the office, I'm not trying to parent at the same time. It's like dedicated time to to the workplace as well. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you navigate through COVID? COVID, well, it, wasn't, it was the trickiest thing, right? Because it was so unprecedented and all of us mm-hmm. immediately knee-jerk panic reaction. In terms of our advisory board and financial forecasting, it was really kind of cut to zero because that, it was worst case situation. And so we didn't know what to expect, but we prepared for the worst. When the worst didn't necessarily happen, we were grateful and delighted, but I think it taught me some really important lessons probably 16 years into the business that to relook at things that we'd always done the same way. You know, it could be that things could be done differently where there's less risk on the business or less financial impact. Um, it was it was a scary time because, of course, you don't want anything, you know, change. Of course, people don't really like change, right? But if you're having to be forced into thinking differently, we've had some amazing outcomes from from doing that. And I think just stopping and listening to the experts, like being really open to change, being open to advice. One of our advisory boards said to me, and I remember being at our little 1970s batch at Bahnoi in lockdown for two months and trying to get on Zooms with bad Wi-Fi and, you know, my two-year-old screaming or, you know, ready for lunch or throwing food and, you know, it was just (laughs) absolutely disaster. But they were saying, like, just start start from scratch, open a page, write, you know, like, imagine that you could start your business again. What would be your why? Is it the same why that you had back then? And is it, you know, and let's use this time to really think about your brand values, like, you know, almost rewrite the script. And I think that is a privilege because you never start if you're in the grind and day to day and everything's bananas you actually never have that space um 
So I found I was walking the baby to sleep in the most glorious, you know, Coromandel town, getting fresh air, getting lots of time to reflect, getting all these ideas. And I actually did have this amazing kind of like uplifting time in terms of how we could do things differently. And I mean, fortunately, our business journey was um, really well supported by such a loyal customer base. And through COVID, we'd already built 16, 17 years of loyal followers. So they wrapped themselves around us. And that community of customers, I mean, I never, I'll never forget how that felt for people to reach out and say, we've got you, you've got this, we'll be, you know, people were buying vouchers in advance so that they could help support the business through. Or, you know, they were just really making us feel like we were definitely worth supporting and getting through. Um, obviously, we shifted immediately to digital marketing, being our biggest kind of income source online. And and what we saw from that was sales three times, four times our, you know, pre- previous sales online. So all of a sudden, it is our busiest store. It still has continued two years in. Even though our retail stores have opened up again, online still sits as this really important part of our business. So I think it's been, been willing to pivot quickly and, like, not be scared of that chat of the new thing and of the change and of, and taking advice from those specialists and <laughs> you know at the end of the day there's it's so really much to learn from so many people that who could contribute outside of your traditional type team. I love that though I love that you had the skills you know to take a step back and to be able to reframe the situation you know I think that's such a pivotal you know skill especially in COVID or because as an entrepreneur and a business owner you're just constantly solving problems aren't you? Yeah, well, I think that's where it comes from, right? Because you you don't have a business model unless you have a problem to solve in the first place. And then once that, you know, for us, it's making beautiful shoes to make people happy. And that problem is then an extension of how do we do more of that? How do we do better at that? What else do they want from us? Is it just footwear or is it leather accessories? Or, you know, who else? What do we represent? And I guess in terms of the future, it's also like how do we make sure that our impact on the, literally on the planet as part of our industry is you know, um, considered and there's there's a lot that goes with it in, in the sense of continuous challenges. But yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think um, it was in reflection a great privilege, uh, yeah, an honour to be able to spend that time. And I don't think that often comes, it's not like you're on the weekends thinking deep about what else you could be doing and how you can do things better. Um, so who knows? It, maybe this lockdown, you know, scenario was good learnings mm. after all. You found the silver lining in it, which, <laughs> yeah. which is what I. My love. mother would have said, "Yeah, yeah." Your mum sounds like yeah. I think everyone needs that cheerleader, don't they? Absolutely. And it's yeah. like that law of attraction. Like you get what you focus on. So I love that you have such a positive mindset and you're always focusing on the positive. Yeah. Because I think as a business owner, like there's just always so many challenges, but it's so rewarding too, isn't it? Well, absolutely. And what's the worst that can happen like I kind of feel like sure some of the risks we're taking aren't huge but some of them are some of them are financially either investing in a new fit out for a store taking a punt that it's going to work and all the stock that goes with it we opened two stores this year in in six months and that was Wellington and Bimbera but we were I was sure you know like in your gut feeling you're like this is the right thing it's going to be fun it's going to be great and fortunately it's been fantastic but I think there's a lot of people around you that say are you serious? Like in this climate with retail, with COVID, you're opening two store. You know, it's almost challenging the norm. And then what's the worst that can happen? We'd pull out of the lease two years' time and have to redirect where we're, you know. But actually, yeah, thankfully, it hasn't happened. The best thing has happened. And yeah, it's operating a great faith. success. Yeah. <laughs> Not fear and taking risks, which yeah. is an important part of business. And what do you think have been the keys to your success in building such a loyal following and community? 
I think it's around that genuine, I mean, New Zealand, right? We're really, hopefully, we are really connected. We are two degrees of separation, not seven, you know, it's very like people do each other favours, people uplift each other. I've I've really experienced the most wonderful, encouraging network of especially females in our industry and other industries. And I think that has made the difference to our consumers that you let them be part of that. You let them kind of share the journey. It doesn't have to be on social media. It's more around our events and hostings. And I'm present. I'm often in the store if I can be. Um, If we're hosting in-store events, I definitely would rather be there than not. Um, Catwalk shows, it might be anything from a charity show to Fashion Week to 800 filling a a room. But I really want them to see me and share me. And I think that's also because I was 23 and now I'm 42 and the brand has grown, but it's all thanks to them. Like I think letting letting it be seen, the vulnerability maybe and the growth and the highs and the lows and and I'm not just talking about posting on a um, social feed, it's more around the whole storytelling of the brand and our why, our purpose and making the customers feel that they're part of that. And I love the thought that because we are a small New Zealand business, it's like every pair counts. You know, when I see someone wearing them, it still just makes me so happy and they feel part of that community, and I hope they do. I mean, I I let them know that they are such a big piece of that, and it's around that networking and the, you know, we have often have shows that are sh- sellout shows before we've even listed it because the same customer is really excited to see what's coming next, or um, it's involving them in every kind of touch point around our little community, and that's nationwide now, which is wonderful. Yeah, and so marketing and sales, are you really hands-on with kind of every department or have you had to learn to kind of let people in and lead? I know. Well, I'm not a control freak. I actually love people. um, I'm not a micromanager. I love people using their initiative and really encourage our team, especially in head office, to run their own departments. And our model is we kind of have a sales and design production team. We have an e-commerce team with its digital marketing sales and then we have retail and wholesale teams and everyone reports back on a Monday morning and shares their workload for the week and how and it's more around how can we help support that have you got lots on I'm over here and I've got a window of time here and it looks like that's our priority but this week you know it might be that there's an event on or there's two pop-ups on or there might be new stock being delivered and everyone it's this lovely camaraderie because it is a small business so we all really even though it's not in your department they all come in to help. But for myself, I wouldn't want to be too far removed because, again, it's part of being the brand. And maybe that's it's nothing to do with an ego. It's more around making sure people can feel like I am still accessible as a brand as well, like where we're positioned in the market. It is a luxury brand, but it's an accessible luxury product. So I want the customer to feel like I'm still very part of it and it's a personal thing for me. I love the marketing. It comes naturally to me because I feel like I am the consumer. I am that woman that loves shoes. So when we're building campaigns or photo shoots or styling a catwalk show, um, it's very much coming from a mood board that I've created alongside Julia, but very much in my own personal style. So I know I hate to think that I am any a control freak, but I but I also love to be, you know, across. Yeah, I think that was what makes me sleep better at night as well as knowing that I'm a crosser. <laughs> yeah, and I also like that the inspiration is flowing from you, and right. then you're really making that come into fruition. Like, it must be such a really cool feeling seeing something go from sketched on a piece of paper to a runway. It is, especially when it works to your favour. Like, of course, there's all the other side of it when you've done all this work and and research and development and then the shoe, either the prototype or the sample, is nothing like what you'd imagined or, you know, it's just off or for whatever reason. Shoes are quite architectural as well, so if they're out by a few millimetres, it's like 
not the same shoe. Do you know, it's like a sculptural object that could be just a little bit off and then you don't like it anymore. Um, so it's important to get all of those processes right. And we've learned over the 18 years that, you know, the, the I guess the from the drawing right through to the sample arriving ready to sell to wholesale, that's like a good eight months before it hits our retail floor. Um, so you have to really love something to let it go through the process of selling it to wholesale accounts. It's like it doesn't get in there if it's a maybe or if it's a so-so. It has to be – we all have to be in love with it. And that's the comfort. That's the fit. That's the, like, purpose of the shoe. Does it let the woman get up at – leave the house at 8 a.m. and get home at 11 p.m. in the same pair of heels? You know, like we're a New Zealand woman, so we're, we're often quite practical with our comfort factor. And then there's this huge piece around sustainability, obviously. So it's like the shoe has to do more than just serve its purpose of being worn on your foot. It has to think about – the circular environment is it going to be on sold or who's how long are you going to have it for it should last for 10 years must, you know, plus what's it made of like what are these components are they able to go back into the circular economy and and so it's it never ends in terms of that development side but um but again that's again we're constantly learning so that makes it fun have you always been passionate about having such an ethical and sustainable approach I'm not sure. I probably learnt that. Um, obviously, when I was 23, we would have studied it at, un- at university that there's certain impacts in the industry. There's a lot of waste. Um, there's a lot of, like, the chemicals that used in the tannery process for leather. We're relying on manufacturing offshore because when I started the brand, there were probably two or three local manufacturers, but not able to make the kind of shoes that we were wanting to do, not able to do the shapes and the heels that we wanted to do, not able to do the small runs of 200 pairs, for example. Um, and as maybe, I don't know, five years into the brand, there were no manufacturing left in New Zealand. So we had to kind of start from the beginning of trusting offshore production and the process and working with people in Italy and Spain and, and Asia. So I feel like this, in terms of the sustainability piece as well, it's been a big learning for the whole industry, a learning for me as the client and meeting our code of conduct and you know audits and things, but a really big learning for the production um they've just had constant change which is awesome because you kind of come on that journey with them and I think by working offshore in these we have quite small production houses with 40 staff or our biggest one is 80 staff in China they only make for a few brands and we're really important to them as they are us so we're we're not just another number and another client you know they're small manufacturing so for us to say hey can you weigh our waste for us and see how much leather scraps there are we're looking at maybe whether we could recycle that leather scraps and make some handbags like it's all learning and I guess for me it hasn't always been like part of our point of the brand or our focus but it's definitely something now going forward that I'm really interested in and I know our customer is interested in and whether it's kind of something that becomes our core purpose or not going forward it should for all all companies really it doesn't matter what industry obviously now we should all be considering it but we're really enjoying learning about what things we could be doing better and it's all the small little changes it's outside of using recycled leather or um you know, uh, we've got some shoes this season that are like an algae rubber sole or a recycled neoprene upper, which is PET, so made of plastic bottles. So there's all these things you can do and try out. But we're in a learning process of whether our customer wants that. Do they just do they want the leather because it lasts for 10 years and it feels comfortable? Or are they willing to try some experimental products because it's circular? Or So it's, it's really interesting to be part of that conversation now. But um I wouldn't say it was something I always knew was going to be impo- as important as what it is. Obviously, our generation, we're going to 
be the ones to push that change, which is exciting. Yeah, create that change in the world, which mm. is, yeah, really, really exciting. So for anyone watching or listening today that either would, you know, inspire aspires to run their own business or is currently kind of going through a bit of a difficult time trying to keep their business going, what piece of advice would you give them? I think it's around being open to other people's ideas and advice and um, reaching out to those people that you might be terrified of or, you know, if you really look up to someone and love their vision, um, the worst thing that can happen is they say, no, I don't have time to meet you for coffee. But the best thing that can happen is if they don't have time, they recommend their 2IC who probably thinks the same as they do and has the same values and has been groomed by them. So there's a wonderful thing in New Zealand, again, like it's connection and it's people that are willing to help. So I guess it's like don't be afraid to ask for that help and the people around you that you look up to have all been in your situation probably at one point of their career or they will know someone that can help out. And um, again, yeah, just listening to the experts is you can't be everything to everyone and I think again with this evolving world we're in there's this wonderful thing of all collaborating you know, collaborative ideas, collaborative projects comes from people working from all areas and all directions that can help advise you. That's such good advice. Not being afraid to just say, hey, can we meet for coffee? Or totally. what's your insight? Because people can see sometimes, they can just see from another perspective or mm. they have that wisdom and that knowledge. So I love that you've been so open. Well, I think so. I mean, you could always email someone and say, hey, can I have five minutes of your time? These are the questions I'd like to ask you. And if, of course, if they can't meet you for coffee, it might be just a digital conversation. Great. You know, there's still that same introduction that you might be able to call on the next I don't know. I... I've been really fortunate to have so much support and help from people in all industries and whether it's naive of me to think that they would help, but they have, you know, I'm just, um, I came out of a, a Ice House owner manager program probably about 10 years into the business and I did this leadership program and it was around assessing where you want the next 10 years to go and I had this forum who were all kind of helping like look at your financials and what your goals were and what your strategy was and my outcomes of that were like, you, KW, you're screaming out for some um, governance. Like, who's telling you what not to do? You know, you've got all these ideas and all these opportunities, but who's keeping you in line? And so that kind of formed the discussion of an advisory board slash director's board. But how the next steps forward on that were me reaching out to people that I really looked up to saying, if I was to put an advisory board together, who do you think would be the right kind of fit? Or, yeah, what are my gaps? And it's really interesting because obviously as a creative, you don't actually want a creative director from an advertising agency coming on board to tell you how to brand your brand. You know, so it's yeah. almost like the gaps that I had filled were amazing strategists and financial forecasts and, like, um, you know, IP trademark law, like advice from people that were really willing to, again, let their guard down and share their learnings. So I've been so fortunate with that support that I would always encourage that as well for the next generation. To The worst thing that can happen is people are too busy and say, I'll put you in touch with someone that that can help. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your valuable wisdom and knowledge today and just love what you're doing and oh. can't wait to see all the new collections and <laughs> yeah. the business just continue to go from strength to strength. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and watching this episode of The Hustle Podcast. I hope that it inspires and empowers you to get your hustle game on hard to build your business. You can connect to more free trainings at Natalie Williams Coach on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. And I would love to help you build a powerful life in your dream business. Visit NatalieWilliamsCoach.com.